welcome to All About Animals Radio. My name is Nicole Rojas, and today I'm speaking with Dr. Vicki Fishlock, resident scientist of Ambicelli Trust for Elephants in celebration of World Elephant Day. Ambicelli Trust for Elephants, located in Kenya, is a not-for-profit organization who focuses on the long-term conservation and welfare of Africa's elephants in the midst of human expansion through scientific research, outreach, advocacy, and training. Dr. Cynthia Moss and her co-founder, Harvey Crows, created the Ambicelli Elephant Research Project in 1972 and is the longest-running elephant research program globally. Currently, over 1,800 elephants are monitored over the Ambicelli ecosystem. The beauty of the Ambicelli Elephant Research Project is what has been learned about elephants and their family dynamics. This research provides the basis that elephant familial bonds are an integral element to their continued survival, which also helps us as humans relate to another species and see the importance of ensuring their place on Earth. Thank you, Vicki, for speaking with us today about the elephants. You're so welcome. It's lovely to be back and chatting to you again. Oh, it's so great to chat with you again. Um, I just wanted to start off with um, any new listeners about if you can explain what your role is as resident scientist at Ambicelli Trust. Yeah, thank you. So my job really at Ambicelli Trust kind of is a a threefold um, sort of role. It's firstly kind of curating and uh, dealing with the long-term data set, there's 50 years of data. Um, it's also, and probably more, even more importantly, getting that data out to policymakers, planners, partners, community members who are making the decisions that are going to affect Amboseli's elephants and, and the rest of the ecosystem in the coming years. And it's sharing that data with partners and collaborators who might want to work with us to do new analysis, uh, MSc students, PhD students, and uh, just trying to make that data work as hard as it can in those kind of fora. Okay. So uh, for an example would be um, human expansion into areas, just making sure that the elephants will still have enough of their habitat to yeah also also that kenya is so kenya's land use uh kind of laws uh, legal structures were always very much based on a freehold title so if you and i are neighbors and i have a spa and health farm and you have a cement factory you decide to put on your land there's nothing i could do about that in the in the historical context of, of kenya's laws like it's your land you can do with it as you will um, now it's going much into more into like land use planning. So you keep compatible land uses together. And in the same uh, vein, another huge shift in Kenya is who and how land is owned. So the land around Amboseli is in uh, group branches, which are kind of a colonial legal construct of how people and communities were using that land traditionally. So these are semi-arid ecosystems. The idea is ecologically, it's very difficult to hold enough land to be wealthy. So uh, rainfall is very, very patchy and low and changes a lot between years. So communities would hold this land together as a clan um, or as a, a other kind of uh, 
tribal structures and, mm-hmm. and community structures. And that way you kind of, that's how you hold enough. So you, you work co- collaboratively, you, um, you manage your land and use your land collaboratively. And so it's not like everybody's got their portion that is now changing and people are more and more switching from this, these community held lands into individual individually held lands, which may or may not be part of collaborative land use management. Uh, so we have an ecosystem management plan in Amboseli, but the way that land is held is changing and who is, are the owners um, are, it, it's the same people who are owning it, but in new ways. So what we're trying to do with these policies and plans is to make sure, my, my job is to make sure the elephant voice is, is shouted out as loudly as the human voice so that we build a future where there's coexistence and sustainability. Beautiful. Beautiful. I'm, I'm glad that you're there, you know, raising your voice for them. Well, it's, you know, I mean... At the, it's not that I'm the only person by any means, and it's not that communities themselves are not raising their voices for wildlife and, and Kenya's natural capital. It's more about having a more equitable sharing of benefits and uh, acknowledgements of the costs of living alongside wildlife as well, right, which right. are not inconsequential. And also the costs of climate change, which we are feeling here in Kenya. Yeah, you just mentioned about before we started recording about the drought that's happening there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which is, so um, these are sort of boom bust ecosystems, semi-arid ecosystems, this is how they work. You get several years of good rainfall, which we've just experienced four years of above average rainfall. All the wildlife populations increase, livestock populations increase. And then when the rains fail, that busts and you've effectively got a population overshoot that's going to crash out. Um, but the human cost of that is also high. And uh, it, as climate change progresses, those those cycles become harder to predict and harder to, uh, we don't know yet how, how quickly those are going to change. And so we would expect a drought once every 10 years in Amboseli on average. Mm-hmm. It could increase in frequency. So yeah, tough times ahead for us this year. Wow, that's that's hard to hear knowing that how it's going to affect um, the people and the the wildlife there. Mm. Yeah, it's very difficult because it's a point where in conservation, in conservation, you always uh, are kind of part of a community of partners and voices. And it's hard to see people that you've worked with for a long time struggling with things that you don't really have any control over. Um, what is good about Amboseli is we do have a lot of partners and we're trying to work in concerted ways. So not not all together because some, for some partners, it's just easier for, to let them get on with their activities that help. Uh, but it, we're trying to just put all our cards on the table so that we split the work up as much as we can and we do as much as we can to help people get through and you know the the communities who who live in Amboseli they know what droughts look like they know how it works um mm-hmm. they've all lived through more than one um but yeah it's always about having that that sense of community spirit that sense of neighborliness and just trying to get through together that's what seems so special about Amboseli is that it, it is community-based it's it's not just about the people it's about the wildlife and everybody coming together 
Pharmacy really is a coexistence landscape. Yeah. yeah, I mean, there's lots of, and there's lots of really valuable conversations happening about um, kind of uh, the models of conservation, and especially where you've got conservation where it's based on exclusion, right? So you create a huge national park, and you say people can't go there, people can't use resource base, people can't access the areas that they used to be able to. But Amboseli is just not like that. We, it's it's quite special. Uh, geographically because it's kind of a basin and so you've kind of got um, certain things that are from an elephant perspective like the resources are really quite evenly distributed there's not a lot of competition for elephants that kind of thing but in terms of the community aspect yeah it's that it really is a coexistent space um, and people do live alongside wildlife and, and pay the costs of doing so right right wow it's very it's a very unique situation Mm-hmm. I love it. Um, a, a lot, a lot of it is unique. I, I think the long history around the research that happens there is unique. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, Kenya has a really strong community conservancy movement that's being professionalized, that's being recognized in law, that's being um, really formalized, which is amazing. And that's and Amboseli is not the only place that this happens. This happens all across Kenya, which is yes. remarkable. Yes, that's what's very special about Kenya. Um. I wanted to just let listeners know about some of, I mean, this is the longest running research project globally about elephants, nearly, Mm -hmm. what is it? It has been 50 years. It will be 50 years next month. The 1st of September will be our 50th anniversary, which is extraordinary. I mean, yeah, literally longer than I've been alive. It's, It's absolutely extraordinary. It is. And to know that you have all that data on all of these elephants and their families and have been following them for so long, what have been some of the biggest discoveries about the elephants and their herds through the project? I think probably the most kind of fundamental thing that we've learned about elephants is how variable they are. And so it really doesn't matter whether you're talking about um, behavior or reproduction or um, ecology, ecological strategies. Pretty much anything you ask me about elephants, I'm going to say, well, it depends. And it depends who and it depends when. So you, as a female, you could have your first baby when you're 10 or you could wait till you're 17. Um, you know, those things are just, they're so variable. And as a, as a scientist, that makes it really hard to build good statistical models that describe what we are seeing. I could imagine. It's a massive challenge. They're not an ideal model system for anything because everything takes so long to happen and it's so variable. But I think in terms of like thinking about these animals in terms of their role as a and keystone species and umbrella species, all the things that if you meet elephant needs, you're meeting the needs of an ecosystem in so many ways. Um, I think that variability is is really important. And I think it's also the thing that speaks to people so much about elephants. I think we recognize a lot of our traits in them. A lot of the things that we value are um, are also present in elephant society. And I think that's why humans have such a fascination with them so I think that variability that underlies so many themes of what we're talking about cognition personality as as showing that you can use those same multi-dimensional personality traits that we use to describe people we can use them for elephants as well and we've shown not only that 
do observers might use slightly different language, but they mean the same thing and they're describing the same thing, but they're also consistent over time. So you might say, uh, if we had a mutual acquaintance, you might say, she's really sociable. And I might say, oh, she's really gutsy, you know, but we're kind of describing the same things. It's kind of this bold to shy, curious, um, uh, excitable, all those kind of personality traits. We see them in elephants as well. And I think that's one of the amazing things just to show people how, even though they have such different body plans and they live this different life and this really different sensory world, we see so much of ourselves in them. That's what I, that's what I think why a lot of people are drawn to elephants is because we do see a reflection of ourselves in them. Yeah. And that's what makes them so enigmatic. Just their, you know, the way they are with their families and the way they do communicate and their strong, you know, intelligence and, and, and emotions that they are able to display to me is just quite extraordinary. Yeah. And I guess I suppose we need a lot of the same things, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, so if you're a highly social species that needs to learn from other individuals, has a long period of learning and adolescence to become mature and successful, then what you need are the same things. You need a stable family base to let you explore your world and make sense of it. You need to see lots of different behaviors from different individuals to understand how your society is organized. And you need to be flexible to take advantage of new opportunities and changes as they come through. And so that's that's really, you know, elephants need other elephants for exactly the same reason that people need other people. Right, right. And it's funny because I was just going to ask you why are familial bonds so important for elephants? And you just answered it because they need, they yeah. need that um, guidance just like we do as, as children. And, and different, and they need different things at different ages, right? right. Like if you take a, a male elephant who starts off as a baby and his family being loved and on and played with and guarded and babysat and then he has to start leaving his family and figuring out stuff for himself and he has this pull to kind of socialize with other males of his age and big guys that he can learn from um and then he has to manage the whole competitive aspects of being a male and do that on his own so instead of following family's decision making and balancing needs of lots of individuals altogether he's doing it all on his own. And you think about how that then develops into the ecological and social strategies that he uses as a 40 or 50 year old male when he's actually reproductively successful. Um, and what we see is that, you know, males who, who socialize a lot with females, who have good relationships, very laid back, who, who understand how to be around other members of the family, they have great mating opportunities because females are relaxed with them and then they become very, very popular. Um, wow. so yeah, just kind of a stable social base in your life then, and, and females too, you know, like if you have a great social, social support system, then that maximizes your learning and you're more effective and successful because you're making good choices. You're not running away from every like lizard and rock, right. but you're also not so laid back that you're not alert to danger and you can't protect your family. So yeah, right. good, good start. Super important. Maybe I'm just thinking that because I have a two-year-old now. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, but now you can see the similarities and how, what your son needs from you and what uh, elephant calf may need from its mother. 
And yeah. you see Good that boundaries. mirror. Yeah, right. But you see that marrying back between mm. your life yeah. and their life. Yeah. Which I think is even even more fascinating for you to have your son and raise him and then um, have been doing this research. Yeah. Um, how many, about how many families are there in Ambicelli? Oh, so I'm, I'm, I'm going to hedge my bets and say about 60 because some of the bigger families, we're trying to figure out whether they really are splitting into smaller units. Like we have a, a criteria that you have to be 80% of the time without your other family members before we consider you formally a unit. And okay. um, <clears throat> that changes, obviously, you know, like in good times, everyone's together in these really big groups. So you kind of want to discount those because that's, you know, just because everyone's hanging out in a nice spot and doing loads of socializing. And um, so, yeah, I have to rerun some analysis and kind of formalize that. Um, but yeah, it's really interesting. It's another thing that's really variable. So Cynthia had a lovely family split when the PAs got to I think 40 individuals, they split into a group of 20 and 20 in like 1976. And it's never been that neat and clean since. So we have some really big families that are still together almost all the time. And then we have some other tiny, tiny individuals, like like literally a female and two kids who should, by kind of the, the rules, if you like, join up to another family and ha who have friends, who have social bonds, and they still just like to do their own thing. So yeah, another massively variable dimension that now we actually have 50 years of data, I think I would like to do some real deep dive analysis into what might be driving some of these processes. Yeah, that would be so fascinating. Mm -hmm. And I mean, that's all, that's all, those are, that's quite a big number of families to monitor mm -hmm. over time. Yeah. So that's why Ambercelli's topography is such a favor to us. So uh, we're at this, we work out the very center of this basin. And so it's a place where there is, relatively low quality vegetation but permanent water so you can always elephants can always find food and water in the same place and so the hills that surround the park um are kind of all up the lower slopes of Kilimanjaro and the other the other hills that surround us they have higher quality vegetation but less uh permanent water and and some areas have no permanent water at all so what happens is that as families go through whatever ecological strategy they have in the year at some point they come back to the park and okay. sometimes that's in the the good times when it's like big groups and it's for social and mating opportunities and sometimes it's as a fallback resource um but it means that basically if you imagine the center of the park the the elephants are like they're it's like a star shape their movement out so they move out in every single direction um, and then come back to us. So it follows the rain. It's, all, it's almost like a heartbeat for the ecosystem. So that means that we can um, be pretty sure that we're going to see, like we see every family every year. Um, and some we see every single month. Some of them we see for six months and then they go. Some of them we see two months on, one month off kind of thing. They have lots of different strategies, but we see everybody over the course of the year. So that's what lets us keep track of such a... Um, an interesting population. That is really interesting that each family has its own strategy and does things yeah. just a little bit different than mm -hmm. the others would never, you know, yeah. it's, it's just something that um, it's just like a regular family. Everybody has their own, um, I guess, like said 
culture or just their upbringings different or just the way they view life, it might be a little different. So it's like there's there's that similarity there. Yeah. And what's cool is we think about families as being these, you know, grandmother-led matrilineal units. So it's sisters and and aunties and female cousins. But, you know, they're really actually groups of females that have the same social and ecological strategy because we've seen totally unrelated females transfer into families and become the matriarch or become key members. And then we've seen other families where sisters didn't really get on with each other and they stop hanging out. They become (laughs) two families, you know, they hit that 80% criterion and they, you know, they're they're different families. Um, So yeah, for us, I feel like a family is much more about describing that, that those females that agree about a set of choices. It's not just about the genetics. Wow. Very, very cool. Thank you for sharing that. Mm-hmm. Something new I learned today. <laughs> um, with everything that's going on with climate change, and I know you mentioned that there's a drought there, could you give a quick explanation why elephants are such great ecosystem engineers and why they could be helpful for us? Yeah, so elephants obviously have huge impacts on the ecosystems they occupy. And their strategy, if you like, is very similar to how people occupy those ecosystems. Um, in that you don't stay in the same place all the year through, and you move around to access new parts of the resource base as it becomes available. And so you have a cyclical movement. And so what that means is those huge impacts that they have are spread across a very wide area and of course elephants everyone thinks about elephants how much they eat um, but they're also dispersing seeds and spreading nutrients in that process so colleagues of ours at ACC uh, who have a long-term ecological monitoring program in Araceli calculated that uh, for for um, livestock uh, elephant used areas about 30% more productive because they're breaking up bush uh, establishment and making and, and making it more suitable as grassland. So if you take elephants out of an ecosystem wherever they are, that ecosystem changes forever. So in the forests of Central Africa where I used to work, um, there are some tree species that are only dispersed by elephants. And so wow. if elephants go from that landscape, those trees will also not be able to to um, disperse a new generation of seeds, um, and so yeah, they change. It changes it forever. If you, I mean, I suppose that's true for lots of species, but because elephants have big impacts over large distances, right? Um, that really, yeah, it has a huge impact. They are so essential. Yeah, in in nutrient cycling. Um, I don't know how much carbon they store in those massive bodies, <laughs> um, but in terms of yeah, the, the what a landscape looks like, it's very different as soon as you remove elephants from that landscape. Right, it just shows how important they are mm, for yeah. the ecosystems. Yeah, <clears throat> I wanted listeners to know a little bit about um, Ambaselli's Alatia project and mm. what that's about. So Elatia is the Maasai word for neighbor. And um, we, we got this idea because 
when we come back from the field at lunch or dinner, um, we're always sharing elephant gossip. And it's like, <laughs> oh my goodness, you will never guess who I saw with Sadie acting like they're the same family and that they've never been apart in 15 years. Or <laughs> I don't ever remember seeing them together, those kind of things. And we realized like a lot of what we talk about and a lot of the things that I've discussed with you today they're built up from these patterns of observations that we make, of, of course, over the years. But it's not just what's written in the check sheet. I mean, or what, what you write down in your field notes. We know these are animals. We follow them. We love them. Um, we don't always understand them. They always surprise us. But we're always swapping bits of news. Hey, I saw Christian. And you know, we thought he'd broken his tusk and it had lost it. Well, it's growing back. You know, all those things that we share with each other. And um, when we have visitors to the camp, they just love hearing this. And we thought, you know, this is the thing that makes our project so special. It's not just the longevity of the data set. It's that depth of knowledge of those individuals. So we decided that we would make a... a um, project where we would share that with supporters and so for a small fee annual fee we write up those kind of notes and stories from the field notes and we uh, provide videos and photos of a chosen family so we we chose a few families where we could be sure that we're going to see them fairly regularly mm -hmm. and um, every other month we give an update of what's been going on so who's had a baby which female was in her first distress how funny she was when she ran away from all the wet males that kind of thing <laughs> and and then we also try and make that we also try and write up what that means in terms of elephant biology and behavior and use those kind of anecdotes to talk about the bigger themes that are similar to what we've been discussing today. Right, right. I think it's a beautiful way for people to connect and maybe get a little bit more inside perspective of the personalities of these elephants. Yeah. And like you said, it's a very small fee to sign up and get these updates and it helps Ambicelli. So it's it a does. And it's, it's something you can gift, um, right. and so uh, also it's a great it's a great present for people who maybe have got everything. What do you get the person who's got everything? Well, how about following an elephant family for a year? I think that's precious. Mm. It's a beautiful. We also gift. do a family tree of everyone that we've known in the family since the beginning of the project. So when oh, we're talking wow. about Euphemia or Gigabyte or, uh, you know, you can see how uh, then people can look and see how her, um, how, who her sisters are or how many kids she's had that didn't make it or how successful she's been as a mom. So it's pretty nice. I yeah. think that's really I interesting. Think I think, well, I think for most people, it's really cool to see a family tree. And not just necessarily your own, but just to see, you know, how a family has grown and evolved mm -hmm. over the years. So that is yeah. a really cool aspect of it. Really cool. Yeah. So how and are you? Oh, people, I'm sorry. Go ahead. I was going to say for people who don't choose to follow Alatia, you can also check out on the website. We do family histories. Um, we can't keep them up to all of them up to date, but we have like a history of the AA family. So Cynthia writes them about when she first knew them, who was the matriarch, how she identified them, who they were hanging out with, and then kind of a potted history of what's happened to them over the years. Yeah, I do and read some of that. And that's really cool. Yeah, it's amazing to see some of the photos of the old characters. Um, yeah, some really cool looking elephants. Over wow. The years. It's really mind boggling to think that it's been 50 years of research. Mm. Very historical. Yeah. 
it's an incredible achievement. We're not the oldest project in the ecosystem, but we are the oldest elephant project in the right. world. And that makes me very proud and humble to be part of that. It's oh, a real honor. For sure, for sure. How can people learn more about Embaselli and how to ways to help? So you can go to our website, which is elephanttrust.org, or you can just Google Amboseli Elephants. Uh, and on our website, we have all kind of our science publications, our films and popular books. We have how you can join Alatia as a, as a uh, supporter or give it as a gift. And also our family histories that I was telling you about. And if you find us on, you can also find us on YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, all by searching for Amboseli Elephants. Thank you. Thank you for that, Vicky. And people can come and visit, correct? You uh, they that? can. We, we do host some limited number of lectures at our research camp, and you can find out how to book those on our website. Okay. Very good. So how will you be celebrating World Elephant Day this Friday? Well, World Elephant Day also happens to be my birthday. Happy birthday to you. Very, thank you. Very happy coincidence. Actually, when somebody, when it first got announced, I thought someone was pulling my leg, to be honest. <laughs> um, so so this year in Amboseli, I, I will be in Amboseli with my husband and my son and my colleagues. Um, because it's a, we're going into drought, it'll probably be a quiet celebration. Hope I'll get out to see some elephants who... I'm not looking too hungry and tired. Um, but yeah, it will be nice to be in the field um, with my family. Yeah, right. And with your extended family as well. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, just waiting for the good times to come again, because we exactly. know that they will. Yes, yes. Great perspective. Thank you, Vicky. This was wonderful. It was lovely to talk to you as always, Nicole. Mm-hmm. Look forward to the next time. Same for me, Vicky. And happy birthday to you. Thank you very much.